0: always turns into an MC, and always embarrasses me oh everybody good it's good to see your smiling faces this morning it's good to have so many new people with us welcome to the vineyard my name is adam i'm the pastor here at the vineyard glad you're here huh and mm. the lord good yeah worship was awesome thanks worship man Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, I want to continue uh, talking in a theme this morning that we've been picking up for the last several weeks, but I'm going to approach this from a slightly different spot, and uh, we'll be looking at just a few verses, very famous piece of scripture from Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to start in verse 38, and we're going to roll down to like 41, 42 or so, and uh, I tell you what, John, why don't you go ahead and put that up. you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Why don't we pray this morning? Is that all right? Holy Spirit, would you come and help us this morning? Father, would you illuminate your word to us so that we can see the reality of life better? Father, we ask that you would even now give grace to everyone in the room. Father, would you give us grace to hear your word? But not just hear your word, God. Would you give us grace to um, have have a spot in our heart for your word? Father, we ask this morning that your word would would pierce us in the center of our being. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me deliver what you have for your people that you love so much this morning. In your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we've been in in a series here at the Vineyard about... Enduring faith. And uh, this morning I feel like uh, this passage in particular has, has a key to life. There's a way to arrange our life that's, that's very plain in the passage this morning. And it is a way to arrange your life so that you'll have enduring faith. What do I mean by enduring faith? I mean the kind of faith that doesn't let go, that doesn't relinquish, that doesn't quit. Whether things are going really good or whether things are going really bad. Because the truth is in life... You're going to have seasons that are really good and you're going to have seasons that are really difficult. That's just the way it is. Jesus actually even promised it because He's a good Jesus and He doesn't tell you lies about the truth of life. He said in this life you'll have trouble. Count on it. If you're not having trouble now, you will later. It's, just, it's woven into the matrix. But the good news is that we can have a faith that is superior to all trouble and that's what we're going for. And this morning, this, this passage in particular, I feel like has something for us. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice here is that uh, the Scripture says that Jesus and His disciples, they were on their way. And you might be asking, if you're, uh, if you're really keyed into the text, you might be asking, on their way to where or on their way from where? Well, it's like this. Uh, the context for this particular passage goes like this. The context is Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10 in particular. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus takes the 12 disciples and He sends them out. Maybe you remember this. Grabs the 12 disciples. He says, okay guys, You've seen me do it now and you're going to go do it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse the lepers and I want you to drive out devils. And they go and they do it. They're greatly successful. They come back. They're really happy. Then they do lots of boneheaded things. Luke chapter 9 and 10 is really great. They're really successful. Then they do one dumb thing after another. And then Luke chapter 10, Jesus says to people who have been doing dumb things, he says, now I'm going to send you out with some more people. I love the Lord. He is so cool. If if you or I had done what the disciples had done in Luke chapter nine, and by the way we do, but if we had been Jesus, we would have shut the mission down and we would have said, Okay, I'm gonna go back out. You guys watch me. But Jesus sends the seventy two out at the beginning of Luke chapter ten and he tells them, Preach good news to the poor, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, and they go and they do it. They go out into all these villages and they're really successful, and they come back, and they're really happy, and Jesus is really happy, and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he says, And Father, I'm so happy because you've hidden this stuff from wise and learned people, and you've revealed it to the simple, to the babes. So, what we've got here is we've got Jesus at the height of his ministry, and we've got Jesus at the height of his popularity, and we've got the disciples kicking butt and taking names everywhere they go. They're taking the kingdom, they're taking the future, they're bringing the future, and they're pulling it into the present. People who are sick are being healed. People who are oppressed by demonic oppression are being set free. Lepers are being cleansed. The poor are hearing good news, like real good news for the first time in in their lives. And Jesus is at the top of of His popularity, which means that Jesus can basically go do anything He wants, anywhere He wants. He's just got crazy favor. Can you imagine this? Imagine you're Jesus or one of the disciples. People are getting healed. Lepers are being cleansed people who are oppressed by the devil are being set free can you imagine the sort of favor that would be going around jesus has all kinds of favor and i love what the passage says it says while they're on their way a certain woman named martha opened her home to jesus the translation on that is this she invited jesus to her home by the way she didn't live in the metropolis she didn't live in jerusalem she didn't live in louisville she didn't live in new york city Uh, she didn't even live in bowling green She lived in a little village called Bethany, which was kind of like Campbellsville. It's just sort of out of the way. No one would ever go there on purpose. People just end up there. And this is remarkable. So at the top of Jesus' popularity, at the height of His his favor in all of Israel, a woman who isn't from New York, who isn't from Washington, D.C., who isn't from Louisville or Lexington or Bowling Green, invites Jesus to Campbellsville to her home, and Jesus shows up. I think this is really great because one of the things that we see about Jesus is Jesus will always go to wherever he's invited. And in fact, if you do this, and I encourage you to do so, if you, if you begin in the Gospels, if you begin in the first chapter of Matthew and you read all the way to the end of the, of the Gospel of John, one of the things that you'll find is that people are always inviting Jesus, and Jesus always goes. In no place in all of the Gospels does Jesus receive an invitation and not go. In John chapter 2, or at the beginning of his ministry, someone's getting married and they're like, hey, you know what, send send an invitation to Jesus. And you know where Jesus goes? goes to the wedding. It's, it's actually the place he reveals his glory first and does his first miracle. And then we have, we've got Martha here invites Jesus to her house. And then you guys remember Zacchaeus, right? The short guy, climbs the tree. Zacchaeus is like, Jesus, you should come to my house. And guess where Jesus goes? He goes over to his house. And not only that, Jesus isn't just hanging out with the good people. But Jesus will hang out with anybody who invites him. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, there's a a Pharisee. And typically in the Gospels, it's the Pharisees who most oppose Jesus. And it's the Pharisees who receive the harshest treatment from Jesus. There's a Pharisee. His name is Simon. And he says, Jesus, please come to my house. I want to give you a dinner. And guess what? Jesus goes. So Jesus is always being invited, and any time Jesus gets invited to someone's house, he always goes. I love that, by the way. I love it. It says something about the Lord. How I many of you realize that when everything's going really good for you, you the perception is when everything is going really, really good, especially the kind of good that was going for Jesus and the disciples. Uh, everybody understood that Jesus was important that's the reason they invited him and how many of you realize that important people are not interruptible like when it's when you're really kicking it and people begin to realize that you're important you're not always interruptible but Jesus the most important person in all of history is entirely interruptible it's a huge challenge for me and so someone invites him and he actually he actually goes Jesus is so available. He's so interruptible. And then what ensues after he shows up at Martha's house is a really striking, and it's a really simple story, and it's for everyone in the room. Because how many of you realize that inviting Jesus into your house is actually an analog for inviting Jesus into your life? Can you see that? So everyone in all the Gospels who invites Jesus to their house, he always shows up. What we're actually talking about here is inviting Jesus into your life. And so what happens here, this story has for us some really powerful keys about what it's like to invite Jesus into your life. And it actually has for us in here uh, some strong warnings. You realize that both Mary and Martha, they love God. They love Jesus. They invite Jesus into their home. And then what we have is we have two different kinds of believers. Two, two different kinds of of living out faith toward Jesus that gets demonstrated for us. And so here's what happens. Jesus shows up and Martha goes into freak out mode because the most important person in all of Israel and all of time has showed up to her house. She's realized that she gave him an invitation. He actually came. And so Martha goes into freak out mode and she begins to cook a dinner. And she doesn't just begin to cook any dinner. She begins to cook the dinner of all dinners. Bling, bling. It's Okay. And she was cooking a dinner, and it was a really, really great dinner, and she didn't just cook any dinner, she cooked like a lamb dinner, and so she's like preheating the oven and she's fixing the lamb, and she doesn't just fix the lamb, but she goes ahead and she's fixing like mint jelly that you put on the lamb, and some of you are like, mint jelly? That's disgusting. You only think that because you've never had good mint jelly with roasted lamb. When you have a good mint jelly with roasted lamb, there's nothing like it. So she's in there, she's making mint jelly, she's got the oven preheated, she's And this is not the kind of day when you can go down to Kroger and get a lamb all prepared. She's hacking the lamb, okay? She's hacking the lamb, she's spilling the guts, the blood, she's pulling the wool off of it. I mean, it's a process, right? And she's got bits of blood, and I imagine like bits of wool around her mouth and hands. And she's trying to clean the house. See, you guys think that Jesus showed up to Kroger dinner. He didn't. He really didn't. And she's going crazy. She's straightening the living room. And then at a certain point, she just kind of gets buried in it all. Because the truth is, what she was trying to do was, well, it was, it was too much for one person. And at a certain point, she realizes, you know what, this is crazy. This is too much for one person. And she says to the Lord, this is really important. She says to the Lord, she says, Lord, Don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? How many of you realize that's not a question, that's a statement? What's she really saying? Translation, Lord, you don't care that my sister is not helping me. And then she does something really awesome. She looks at Jesus and she says, tell her to help me. How many of you realize you've gotten off on a bad foot when you begin to tell Jesus what to do? (laughs) She's angry. It's gone from frustration. It's gone from pressure to frustration. And it's boiling over in anger. And she's actually angry at the Lord. And she's not just angry at her sister, but she's angry at the Lord. She's saying, Lord, you don't care that my sister isn't helping me. Tell her to help me. Her heart got revealed, and then Jesus's response is just awesome. If you read it slowly, you can hear the kindness and the affection in his voice. He says, "Martha, Martha." Now, any time in the scriptures, particularly in the Gospels, that Jesus speaks to someone and says their name twice, he's he's not he's not saying that uh, from a place of anger. He's actually saying it from a place of great love and affection. Uh, in fact, there's a couple places. Elsewhere, he, where he sort of demonstrates this, the same kind of gentle Jesus. He's about to deliver a bit of a hard word, but he, he approaches it with such gentleness, such humility. Uh, when, when Peter says to, to Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, you are so right. You know, you didn't get that from any man. You got it from the Father in heaven. And then Jesus says, let me tell you something else. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up, crucified. He's going to die. And Peter's like, no way. No way. Never going to happen. No, not going to happen. And before Jesus rebukes him, he says, "Peter, Peter, you don't know what spirit you're of. Get behind me, Satan." It's really interesting to me that in in the process of Jesus giving difficult or hard words to people, he always does it with such great compassion and affection. Jesus is not—he's not like me. I, I can obliterate people. I, I am—I am the heavy hammer but Jesus is so sweet and kind. And so he, he says to her, Martha, Martha. And the implication is, when He says her name twice, the implication is, I really know you. And I really love you. And He says to her, you're worried and you're upset, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. A couple of thoughts. We've already begun to discuss this a little bit, but I want to delve into it deeper. When we When we invite Jesus into our home, it's just another way of saying, that we're inviting Jesus into our life. And the truth is, is that most people in the room this morning have done that at one point in their life or another. You're here, you're at church, and presumably most of us in the room have invited Jesus into our life. And in doing so, we've invited Him into our house. And there's probably some people here this morning in a room this size who have never invited Jesus into their house. And we'll give you an opportunity to do that later. But what it means for the rest of us here who have invited Jesus into our house it means that there's two ways to approach the presence of Jesus in our life. There's two ways to approach. Mary and Martha represent these two ways. And by the way, I want you to understand, both of these Both of these people, they love God. They love Jesus. Martha would not have invited Jesus into her house if it wasn't for the fact that she loved Him. And the reason I really wanted to talk about it today is, is this. It's because one of these approaches to the presence of God in the house of your life will give you the kind of in, kind of faith that endures. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and Mary ends up being the person who's at the cross when Jesus is crucified. Everyone else deserts Him. Everyone else deserts Him. If you read the Gospels, all of His disciples desert Him except for maybe the Apostle John. But the only people who are at Jesus's cross are Mary, His mother, this Mary, and maybe maybe the apostle John everyone else leaves him so what this tells me is that Mary has an approach to the presence of Jesus in her life which is significant and turns her into the kind of person who can endure great hardship and will not give up on Jesus even when everything is coming down she was there with him wow Peter runs away Mary does not and so Mary and Martha, they represent approaches, understandings to the presence of Jesus in your life. I want to talk to you a little bit about Martha and then we'll then we'll move on. Um, first thing I want you to understand is this, is that Martha's main trouble is that she assumed that Jesus had come to her house so that he could eat her food. Martha had, had assumed that Jesus was coming to her house because he was hungry and then he needed a meal. And really, that's the way that a lot of us approach Jesus. We approach Jesus with this assumption that He has come into our home and that He has come into our life so that we can do something for Him. We assume that we invite Jesus into our house and we assume that the reason that He comes is so that we can do something for Him. How many of you realize that Jesus really doesn't need you to do anything for Him? How many of you realize that your best skills are not needed for the Son of Glory. He can use them, but He doesn't have to have them. See, here's this is the kind of Jesus we're dealing with. Jesus is not the kind of Jesus who makes friends with investment bankers so that He can eventually say, I need help with money and would you please fix all my money issues. Jesus isn't the kind of person who's working friendships and networking so that He can eventually work it to His advantage. Jesus isn't the kind of Jesus who's making friends with mechanics because he's got a broken down Jesus car and doesn't know what to do about it. And he thinks, you know, if I can just be friends with the mechanic guy, if we can just hang out a little bit, he'll eventually do me a solid and fix my Jesus car. But we approach him that way. Martha had assumed that Jesus had come over to eat her food. But here's the truth. Jesus comes into our home and He comes into our life for one really, really basic reason. And the reason is He loves you. That's it. Jesus doesn't need your skills. He, he just loves you. Mary and Martha invited the Lord to their house and He shows up not because He was looking for a dinner. Jesus doesn't need anyone to cook for Him. He can grab a couple little fish and a, and a couple loaves of bread and He can make that Into a dinner for 20,000 people. Your cooking skills, your stove skills are not required for the Lord Jesus. He comes because He loves you. Like He loves you so much that He's always going to love you. Like even if you never invite Him into your house, He loves you. And then even after you invite Him into your house, even if you never change, He loves you. Even if you invite Jesus into your house when you're a young kid and you spend the next 75 years. Being a crazy person literally living like a crazy person you got jesus in your house you've invited him in he will come if you spend 75 years being a crazy person maybe a crazy angry person if you spend 75 years being a crazy angry person jesus will still look at you with kindness and affection he will still say to the crazy angry person that's my favorite son and the really dangerous thing is this It is a mistake for us to believe that what it takes to get Jesus to come into our house is something fundamentally different than what it takes to get him to stay. See, he comes because he loves you and he stays because he loves you. It wasn't as though he came because he loved you and he'll only stay if you can cook real good. He's not coming because he loves you and deciding to stay because you are the hardest working servant around. He is not impressed by your ability to serve. See, it's religion that will cause you to become distracted by preparations while Jesus is near and available. Can you imagine that? The Lord Jesus actually comes to your house and you spend your entire time cooking a meal that He didn't ask for? That's the essence of religion. Like like Jesus is right here And I spend my entire moment of him being in my house, I spend it in the kitchen away from him preparing a meal that he didn't ask for. Dang. See, it's the religious spirit that causes us to assume that Jesus' values are the same as ours and that he has the same agenda as we do. See, religion will try to convince you that what's most important is the cleanest house. That like Jesus won't come over unless the house is perfectly clean. And that you should work really hard, 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 hard. Work really, really hard. Because if you get your house clean, then Jesus will be impressed. Jesus looks at Martha. He says, "Martha, you're you're up, you're anxious, and you're upset. You're worried, and you're upset." And one of the things I've noticed in my own life is that so much of ser- so much of service in the kingdom of heaven is actually done from a place of worry and anxiety rather than invitation. We carry around a Martha heart and we end up trying to serve the Lord out of a place of anxiety rather than a place of invitation. And so we end up cooking Jesus meals that He didn't ask for because we're anxious about the, 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 the place that our life is in. Rather than moving with the Lord from a place of invitation one of the things that i that, that has most freed me in my entire life is that as I prog- progress with jesus is just realizing that i'm not going to do really anything no matter how good it sounds no matter how right it seems unless jesus invites me to do it um how many of you guys remember uh, that thing that happened in nashville several years ago called the call 7707 y'all remember that it was like it was awesome i was there it was awesome 70 some thousand people like praying fasting worshiping the entire day there's seventy thousand people in this at the titan stadium and it was awesome it was one of my favorite days ever it was that good holy spirit was so present and available and it was a day of fasting and i was the guy who was there that day and i ate about four hot dogs i drank a bunch of cokes and i had an awesome time everyone else is fasting i'm like man isn't this great i'm just munching on hot dogs Yeah, the reason I didn't fast is because Jesus didn't invite me to fast. And one of the things that I've learned about fasting is it is a terrible thing to pick up a fast that Jesus doesn't invite you into. And by the way, you can can be nervously persuaded by anxiety to take part of a fast that Jesus doesn't invite you into. Some of us have done that. I see heads going like this. Yeah, I did that. It was terrible. Yeah, so I was the guy at the call eating hot dogs, drinking Cokes, and just having a really great time. That's what religion will do. Religion will try to convince you by worrying and anxiety rather than the invitation of Jesus. That kind of worry and anxiety will produce in us the kind of activity that gets us to prepare meals that Jesus didn't ask for When in all actuality, he has come with a meal himself, a feast that no chef could ever match. Here's what I think happened. I think Mary and Martha invited the Lord over. I think Martha went into meal preparation mode. And I think the entire time Jesus is sitting in the living room going, you know what, I've I've got a meal that I want to share. And because of worry and anxiety, Martha misses the meal that Jesus was sharing. And it's a meal that satisfies on the inside. Deep, deep, deep on the inside. Here's the other thing about worry and anxiety. You've probably experienced this as well. Worry never stays worry. Anxiety never stays anxiety. Eventually worry and anxiety grow into something much more flammable. It's called frustration and then frustration turns into anger. Your worries will never stay worries. Your anxieties will never stay anxieties. They eventually become frustrations and then your frustrations turn into anger. And we hear it in the voice of Martha who says, Lord, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? She's already jumped the boat out of anxiety and worry and she's now into full-on anger because her sister isn't helping her. And this is something really interesting that we need to pay attention to as well. I hope that you see this. That Martha begins with worry, anxiety that turns into frustration and then becomes anger. And the anger initially is pointed toward her sister but where does it eventually run to? jesus she's angry at jesus don't you care the implication is you don't care she's offended at the lord and she goes on to say tell her to help me and she begins to be the person in the room who's telling jesus what to do which is a huge mistake see here's the problem you can't stay angry at a brother or a sister and it not eventually ruin your relationship with god Anxiety will become frustration. Frustration will become anger. Anger at a brother will eventually turn into anger towards God. Mark it down. Offense toward a brother or a sister will eventually turn into an offense toward God. It's the reason that Jesus is so um, so adamant about it. He mentions it twice in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew five, he says, "If you're coming to worship God and you remember that a brother has something good has something against you, don't worship." Leave church. Go settle things with your brother. Make it right and then come back. Why? Because if you're upset with him and he's upset with you, you're eventually going to get upset with me. Then in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if you have something against a brother, you need to go settle it. Why? Because offense towards a brother never ever stays at offense toward a brother. In fact, some of us in the room have been carrying offense and anger and bitterness towards brothers and sisters, particularly brothers and sisters in the faith, and you've been carrying it for 20 years, and you wonder why Jesus doesn't feel as near, doesn't feel as present, and doesn't feel uh, as with you, and you wonder why your relationship with God feels like it's just sort of fizzled out, and you wonder why things, things don't happen the way they used to. You wonder why you read the Scripture, and it seems like a boring, dusty book that you just hate. And you wonder why you pray, and it just like bounces off... Of the ceiling. And the reason is beneath it all, beneath it all, beneath it all is offense towards God. And it's been undealt with and it won't be dealt with until you forgive your brother. Forgiveness is power. It's power. The scriptures point out that this is, well, this is super encouraging to me. The scriptures point out that Martha was busy with. This phrase is so anointed. All the preparations. Martha was busy with all the preparations, plural. And then Jesus looks at her and says, but only what? One thing is required. You know what I hear in that? I hear that the Lord Jesus is actually offering a much simpler life. That's what I hear. I hear that He's actually offering something that's much, much simpler than any of us in the room probably probably would believe. Here's what I also hear. I, hear. I hear that religion has tried to convince us that loving God is complicated and that it's multi-layered and that it, is, that it requires lots of effort and that it is going to be an exhausting thing. And some of us in the room have become so convinced in it, it that we don't even feel like God likes us or loves us or has any ability to show us affection unless we are completely worn out trying to serve Him. That's how I mean. It's, it, it gets it gets that far down in there, and and the good news this morning is for everybody in the room. Jesus is actually offering a much much simpler life. One thing. All the preparations are one thing. I'll give you a choice. Anybody in the room, what do you want? All the preparations, or do you want one thing? I'll take one thing. One thing. And what is the one thing that's required? To sit at his feet. one of the key questions you need to ask yourself is, did Jesus invite you into all those preparations? Have you been invited by the Lord to do what you're doing? And by the way, if you sit at the feet of Jesus, He will eventually invite you into things. When we encounter the, the presence of God, when we sit at His feet, you will eventually get invited into things you will eventually get invited into activity you will eventually get invited into service you'll get invited into work you'll get into you'll get invited into co-laboring with him you'll get into, invited into doing things that you never thought or conceived or imagined that you would do but first there is sitting at his feet and some of us in the room are wondering why haven't things worked out better you know uh some of us feel like oh my gosh I've got to go out and win on the lost. I've got to go out and tell people that Jesus loves them. And some of us in the room have felt the burden of that, but we haven't felt the burden of sitting at His feet first. And we wonder why things haven't gone as well for us as, as we thought they would. And I want to tell you that the, the in the kingdom of heaven, before there is doing, there is sitting at His feet. We need, we need significant time to sit at his feet to learn his presence to meditate upon his word to be near him because here's the thing and this is one of the things that a lot of us maybe don't realize is that when we invite Jesus to come to our house when we invite Jesus into our life in that moment he will say yes and when he shows up Jesus becomes the master of the house And so at the moment that Jesus steps through the threshold, it's no longer my house anymore. It's his house. I'm no longer doing what I want to do. I'm going to do what he wants to do. And so before there's activity, there needs to be significant time sitting at his feet, learning to be aware of his presence. Just learning to be aware of the presence of God. Probably the most um, unknown thing in all the church is the presence of God. It's really crazy. Uh, There are about one billion Christians around the world. And probably the thing that the least of them know is the presence of God. The nearness of the Father. And so before there's any activity, we need to learn... The presence of God. Um, By the way, he's always near. He's actually here right now. Um, He was here during worship, and when we conclude the meeting, and you drive home, and maybe before you go home, when you go to Garcia's and you're eating their lovely salsa, he's there. He's always near. He's like the breeze in Kentucky. The wind is always blowing in Kentucky. You're just not always aware of it. In in fact, you can actually train yourself to become unaware of the breeze that is always blowing. One of the things I'm convinced of is that a good portion of the church has actually trained themselves to be unaware of the God who's always present. The wind's not always blowing really hard in Kentucky, but it's always blowing. And the quieter and and the more gentle the breeze, that means the quieter that I have to become and the more that I need to focus on the breeze that's blowing. In fact, um, two summers ago, the Lord was talking to me about this, and so for the entire summer from May until August, as a spiritual discipline, I never got into my car and went anywhere. I would stand beside my car door, and I wouldn't get in, and I wouldn't go anywhere until I could feel the breeze blowing on me. I did that every day every, every for about four months. It's just something between me and the Lord. He invited me to do that. And so I began to do that. And and the implication is this. He is always present. He is always near. He is always available. This is part of what it means to sit at His feet. It's to learn His presence, to, to learn His nearness, to feel Him, to know Him. God is not an intellectual concept for you to master. He is a presence for you to know. He's a person. In fact, after being a believer for some time, I realized that as I began to grow in knowing the presence of the Lord, I realized that the most effective prayer is first acknowledging the presence of God. The most effective prayer is acknowledging the presence of God. Um, so many of us begin to pray, and this, is, this was what I did. I'll just share my own story. I realized after 15 years of trying to love Jesus and doing everything that I knew to do and, and working it out as best as I could, I realized that after 15 years, 99% of my prayers were just my internal anxieties made audible. With little to no faith that he was hearing or going to do anything about it, it was just, okay, I'm supposed to pray now. Oh God, would you give me money? I need money because I don't have any money and there's bills that are going to be due. And God, my, would you help me and my wife love each other more and not to be angry with each other. And Father, would you help the church? And oh Jesus, oh, oh God, would you help us? Oh, God, God, that kind of prayer will wear you out when what's first required is to simply sit at his feet and get to know his presence. The sort of life that Jesus is calling us into is a life focused on his presence rather than Christian activity. Here's the deal. When you begin to live a life focused on His presence, when you begin to live a life that is at His feet, when you begin to live a life that is concerned with only the things that Jesus is concerned with, when you begin to live a life that is not going for Christian activity, but waiting on the invitation of the Lord Jesus, you will begin to live a different sort of life. And it will actually cause you to break social norms. What do I mean by that? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she should have, culturally speaking, she should have been in the kitchen helping her sister. She should have been in the kitchen. But she wasn't, and it, and because she wanted to sit at Jesus' feet, and because she wanted to hear His words, and because she wanted to just be near Him, just to be near Him. I'm, I'm convinced more and more as I get to know the Scriptures that her number one priority was just to be near Jesus. It wasn't even to learn anything. It was just to be near the Lord. Just being near the Lord. When you become the kind of person who is fixated on His presence and whose sole purpose in life is to be near Him and then to live out of His invitation, it will cause you to break social norms. Suddenly, you'll get out of the kitchen. Everybody everybody will be like, dude, why aren't you in the kitchen? And by the way... When Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, it would have been shockingly scandalous. It's part of the story that doesn't come through for us because we we're listening and we're reading this with 21st century Western mind approach. Listen, Mary was supposed to be in the kitchen. Not only that, but it would have been all men around Jesus. And not only that, but she was sitting at his feet, she was close. Jesus what Jesus wasn't married? and Mary wasn't married, and she was probably touching him. Oh my gosh, a woman, unmarried, touching the Lord. It would have been scandalous. In the room, men would have been whispering. They would have been saying terrible things about Mary. And here's the deal. When you become the kind of person who is mostly concerned with Jesus' presence and living out of His invitation only, people will whisper about you. Just want to tell you, okay? People will whisper about you. They'll be like, that guy... That woman, they're no longer doing, well, don't they know you're supposed to do this stuff, like you're supposed to be doing this. They do nothing. Live a life of freedom. What's up with that? Not only will it cause you to break social norms in sort of the macro-social way of looking at it, but it will actually cause you to stir up the family as well. Mary and Martha were probably sisters, and she was supposed to be helping her sister. Uh, Probably Martha was the older sister because the Bible says that she invited Jesus. It would have been odd for the younger sister to invite Jesus. So it was probably Martha who invited the Lord. She was probably the older. And if Martha wanted Mary to do something, then she would have been under obligation, not only as a woman, but she would have been under obligation as the younger. And so she's breaking not only social constructs, but she's breaking familial constructs. What's the analog there for us today? When you become the kind of person who is who is number one priority is the presence of Jesus and living by His invitation only, sitting at His feet, you will actually become the kind of person who's living a different sort of life when you compare it with the rest of the church. Kingdom life has a, a rhythm and it's radically different than the life that is most popular in culture. More radical still, kingdom life has a rhythm that is radically different than the life that is most popular in the church. Can I share with you a dirty secret about the church? By the way, I love the church. I believe in it. I believe it's Jesus' number one game plan in the earth. But can I tell you something? It's a dirty secret about the church and it's a dirty secret about pastors. I'm going to make up a percentage it's not real, I'm just making it up. Just so you know. 99% of pastors only see people for what they can for what they can bring to a Sunday morning service. Yeah. And so church becomes this this collection of of what can I offer and what can I bring rather than who can we meet. So here's the challenge for us this morning. The challenge is to live at the feet of Jesus because enduring faith is a faith that's not concerned with activity as much as it is with His presence. Enduring faith has made the presence of Jesus the number one priority and nothing else is even close. Some of us in the room need to reprioritize Uh, In order to have enduring faith, we need to reprioritize and we need to make the presence of Jesus the number one and abiding priority in our entire life. Everything else will find its orbit around the presence of Jesus. Amen? And then some of us in the room probably need to invite Jesus into our home. Uh, There are probably people in this room who have never invited Jesus into their home. And the real tragedy of that is, is that Jesus will come to your home. like He never, ever doesn't go to people's homes. He's just waiting for an invitation. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to do a couple things, um, because I feel like the Lord wants to, to minister to His beloved church. If you want to this morning, why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you. If you're on the ministry team, why don't you come on down? Thanks, guys. Man, isn't the Lord good? Isn't He? To whoever said yes, high five. Man, I see you. I see you in the back. <laughs> yeah, why don't we do this while we're standing up before, we, uh, before I pray for you guys and we dismiss to, to ministry. If you've never invited Jesus into your house, you really need to. Uh, if you've never made Him the master and the boss of your life. You really, really need to. And the good news is, is that He never turns anyone away. Even if your house is a complete wreck, like even if everything in your life is a complete, absolute nightmare of a wreck, He will come. Jesus is not offended, and Jesus is not ashamed by broken people with trashed lives. Like, your house can be totally whack, and Jesus will come in. Like, even other people will not come in, and Jesus will come in. And if that's you this morning... I want to give you an opportunity. Why don't you come on down? We don't normally do this like this at the vineyard, but we want to this morning. If you need to invite Jesus into your life and you need to invite him into your house, I want you just right wherever you're at, just come on down. We want to, we want to receive you and we want to pray for you and see the Lord touch you. why don't you guys do this? Why don't you put your hand on your chest? I want to pray for the rest of you. Holy Spirit, we just love you this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into the room right now. And Holy Spirit, we welcome You to come and to illuminate our minds and our hearts. Spirit, we ask that You would give us grace to reprioritize our life. Father, we ask that You would would give us a crazy dose of the Holy Spirit. God, just a, a fresh injection of grace to reprioritize our life around one thing rather than many preparations. Father I ask that your presence would be alive and near to us God for those of us who have had just such a struggle encountering your presence God for those of us who who just we never feel anything and we just we 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 feel like it's all fake or that's just people who are more emotional God for those of us who feel who feel tied up in our own analytical thinking God I ask that you would give us grace to meet you in a fresh way Father I ask that the wind of your spirit would begin to blow on everyone in the room and Father just as your people we just say to you this morning that it's our house but you're the master Father we ask that you would give us grace this morning to love you more than Christian activity. And right now, this morning, I take authority over anxiety, and I take authority over many things. And Father, we ask that you would give us grace for one thing. And in the name of Jesus, I release rest and I release peace over the people of God. In the name of Jesus, Father, we ask that you would give us grace to forgive brothers and sisters who have wounded us. Forgive people who have not met our expectations. We just release forgiveness. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us for harboring bitterness against a brother. Father, we ask that you would give us uh, just grace and forgiveness for harboring anger against a sister. Because God, we know that it wasn't just connecting, disconnecting us from them, but it was actually disconnecting us from you, and you're such a treasure to us. Father, I ask that you give us the courage to make things right. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need ministry or prayer for anything else, you come on up. We've got people here to pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five. Give somebody a hug. The mass is ended. Go in peace.